listening. It's a basic building block to effective customer experience and ultimately satisfaction. It is also a consistent message we're hearing on this show. Ironically, in the one industry, healthcare, where listening is the most impactful aspect of customer experience, it may be happening the least. Alan Dubovsky, Chief Patient Experience Officer at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles, has embraced the ethos of listening. Coming up, you'll hear from Alan about redefining the meaning of listening to patients, why executives making patient rounds impacts patient experience, the importance of adding unstructured feedback, and how intentionally designing a future patient experience instead of simply reacting to what has happened in the past is a winning strategy. Culture starts at the top. And great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. Good morning, Alan. Thank you for being here with us today. Morning, Liliana. Thanks for having me. We always start our conversations with uh, the same question, which is uh, if we can learn something about you that we couldn't find online. Um, is there anything that you feel inclined to share with our audience that we would never be able to find on Google? Ooh, what a great question. Say, uh, yeah, I've, I've been able to live in some very interesting places. So I come to you uh, I always get a question about the accent, so I'll start with that one. You wouldn't really be able to trace my trace my roots. Born and raised in South Africa, spent 16 years there, 20 years in Atlanta, five years now in Southern California. So the interesting non-Googleable thing uh, is that I'm a bit of a, a mix of South African with a Southern twang and a SoCal vibe. I'll give you that. <laughs> I actually love South Africa, and I always say that I want to retire in Cape Town. That's where I'm from, yep. Born and raised. Oh, wow. just, uh, yeah, just outside of Cape Town and uh, truly one of the most beautiful places on earth. Truly. I still buy Stellenbosch wines and I kind of think about that place and plan how I'm going to buy the house and I'm going to watch the penguins. It's <laughs> just Life goals. the best place. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, since this is a customer experience podcast, we also have to have that question that's a little predictable, but... What is the best or worst customer experience you've ever had that you would like to talk about today? Yeah, I've been fortunate to have uh, a lot of really good experiences. I'll, I'll give you one. I, I talk often about Delta Airlines, um, and not just because I've spent 20 years in Atlanta and was, was brain, <laughs> brainwashed to only ever see Delta. But yeah, I won't get into the specifics of, of how I got to this, but I, you know, my dad was traveling with my mom back from South Africa on, from, from a trip, and he got sick. Uh, he was actually the reason that they had to divert the plane back to Johannesburg or to, to Namibia, actually. So the short version is I needed to get to South Africa pretty quickly. Um, and so I reached out to Delta. They gave me, I got a call from them actually, uh, to say, we know you need to get back. We know your parents are sort of stranded and you want to help them get back. Call this number and call this guy. He'll take care of it for you. 
So I called and I said, okay, I want to get on tonight's flight. And he said, great, you know, here's your seat. Here's the deal. Goes through everything. And he says, all right, I think everything should be fine. Um, and when I hung up the phone, I was like, you know, this is weird. I, I never like, got a price, but I was like, you know what? I just need to get there. I'm sure it is what it is. Um, and the next, later that afternoon, I got another call from them just to confirm everything. And I said, you know, this is a bit of an awkward question. Uh, like, how much am I paying for this thing? And they said, you know what? Don't worry. We understand that you are probably, the only thing you need to worry about right now is getting your parents home safely. The ticket's on us. And, you know, I bring up that example for a couple of reasons. First of all, just totally unexpected. I think the unexpected experiences are usually the more fun ones. Um, and secondly, you know, Delta, I, I can only imagine what it must have cost them to divert the plane and what my, what my parents had already cost them by that point. They could have chosen to be angry, but they actually chose to be compassionate. And so this was six years ago and still something I talk about uh, to this day is the best, one of the best experiences I've ever had. Yeah, that sounds like a great story. When I was in JetBlue, we had um, this saying, do the right thing. And it's it's such a powerful thing. Uh, I, I would consider this story as kind of an example of just that. It, yep. It's just the right thing to do. There is not, there is no business case behind that. It's human. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's all that, that sh it should be enough. Yeah, agreed. And I, I don't think they ever did it expecting that I would talk about it to this degree, or they didn't do it, I'm guessing, for the, the reason of sort of, you know, customer loyalty or anything else. But here I am six years later, still telling the story and, and advocating. So it worked out for them in many ways. <laughs> well, you can still engineer this a little bit and learn from that and say, hey, if the customer uh, service people have this autonomy and authority to do gestures like this, it could lead to a lot of goodwill. Sure, definitely. So tell us, what, what do you do in Cedar Sinai? So I, uh, I view my role as, as the chief, experience, chief patient experience officer as uh, a couple of you know, very specific things. Number one, um, I am the person responsible for helping the organization understand our patient's voice. And, you know, underneath that, obviously, is lots of structure around surveys and feedback and everything. But um, I sort of represent the, the conscience of the patient and their family uh, in the work that we do. And then, you know, following up on that, the things that they don't like about us or wish we did better, uh, my team and I are responsible for creating, implementing, leading projects to help fix that. So, you know, as I describe the role of the patient experience leader, it really is steering us um, away sometimes from things that we believe are better for patients when patients don't agree with us, um, and just sticking to sort of a true north of what really will make a difference in the individual patient or family experience. So when you say you represent the voice of the patient, where do you represent it? What's your audience? And what, that's one of my favorite parts of my job. It's anyone and everyone. Um, so I report up through operations in the hospital, which are our chief operating officer. Um, I have the privilege of sitting at the at this leadership table. So one of the audiences is our senior leadership, everyone from medical affairs and uh, you know finance and you know admissions, clinics, inpatient areas, etc. Um, I also spend a lot of time with our physician uh, groups, our medical staff uh, teams, and so we have well over 2,000 between faculty and associated physicians, and so a lot of my audience is physicians. Um, honestly, one of my favorite parts of my job is that we spend a lot of time with frontline employees, uh, so I help lead and my team helps lead trainings and initiatives. Um, so whether we're teaching frontline employees or rounding on them on the units, um, so my audience in any given day varies from senior leadership 
middle management, which I hate that term, but you know, uh, I am one of them, so I guess that's okay. Uh, all the way down to our, our frontline team members as well. <laughs> well, I always thought that middle management bears the brunt of any organization. We're the we're the backbone. There... You know, I like to tell myself that without us, this place just wouldn't function. I keep telling myself every day. <laughs> I think you're very right. Actually, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Is there one thing you want to talk about that had the most impact on patient experience that you've done for the last four years there? I did give this one a lot of thought, um, and it's it's so difficult. I'm sure a lot of your uh, your people tell you that it's you know to narrow in on one thing. So I wavered a little bit back and forth, but but honestly, I think uh, as I sit here today, uh, it's very hard to believe twenty years this year of working in sort of healthcare customer experience uh, in different roles. Um, I think the one thing uh, that I'm certainly most proud of that I feel has changed the course of of what we do and. A lot of other CXOs think think alike uh, on this one, and that is, I think we've redefined how we capture the patient voice. Um, again, happy to go into more detail. I'd, I'd love to, in fact, around what that means. But you know, the industry started off with very standardized uh, surveys and a very archaic um, way of capturing patient feedback. And so you'd look at scores and numbers and say, okay, clearly we have to fix these two or three things. And I just, you know, kept in this industry, even up until the last couple of years, thinking, I'm not sure that is an accurate representation of what people like and don't like about us. And I feel like we're sort of chasing the wrong things. Um, and so like an example would be, you know, you'd look at your, you'd look at your scores and you'd say, you know, cleanliness scores are down. Uh, and then you'd start chasing, you know, some sort of project around improving that. But really, you know, as you start to think about the patient voice differently, you start to narrow in and ask different questions and figure out it's not really about cleanliness. It's actually about clutter and organization and things like that. And then you start getting some some cool new innovative ideas around that. And so for me, the one thing is I'm very proud of, as we sit here in 2021, um, I think we listen very differently to our patients today than we ever have. And that's for me just a personal mission and, and soapbox, I guess, of uh, how I think we need to be thinking about healthcare customer experience. I, th I think you're very, very correct. You know, we always say customer experience is about perception, right? What is the perception of the, of the, of the consumer or the patient of your brand? But perceptions is what we sometimes hear if we don't ask more questions to understand what is underneath that perception. Right. Yeah. One of my favorite, you know, activities so, in, in is the five whys. And it's such a simple one, but as you, now, I think part of the problem is we we talked, I'll give you an example. We did a training this morning and we we talked about wait times. And, you know, it's obviously a chronic issue, uh, excuse the pun, in, in healthcare. But, um, you know, when you don't really try to dig deep into, like, why is that a problem and why does that bother patients and why do we do it that way? I think sometimes you just chase the first thing that you think. And so you say, okay, wait times are a problem. Fine. Like, see fewer patients or hire more people. When really, if you do start to ask why a lot more, um, you start to get different insights. And so I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the same is true on surveys. I think if you just start and, and stay too high level, um, you're not really capturing what's actually right and wrong. This is so true. Yeah, I had a situation in JetBlue that was very interesting as well when we had higher call volume. And people said, oh, you have higher call volume and that's the problem. And then we said, well, why is the call volume higher? Oh, because the website is not 
working properly. Well, why is the website not working properly? And then before you know it, we ended up talking to our partner who was responsible for the fundamentals of the of the website. And if we didn't go with the whys, like you said, we would not have even solved it, which is actually the sad part. You may not even solve it. And maybe that's when executives say there's no ROI because not everyone understands that depth that you need to go to. I listened to to a conversation to a, a somewhere you you were on stage talking about this, and I wanted to dig into this piece of your relationship with IT and technology. Can you tell us more about how are you positioned there? What did the organization do so you can be positioned in in this way so you can have impact? Yeah, it's uh, such a great question. I think. Um... So a couple of a couple of things before I, I get into the weeds of, of what my role, my partnership with IT looks like. I'll say, first of all, I'm very lucky. I think Cedar Sinai, we're fortunate in a lot of ways. One of them is we have a strong emphasis on innovation and technology. So I've, I it was one of the reasons I took this job. Um, I came to an organization that invests in it, believes in it. We have an accelerator, you know, startup program on campus. And so it was what was exciting to me. I wanted to come to a place that that wanted to think of different ways of how we could use technology to improve anything and everything around the hospital. That's the first thing. The second thing is I, I'm a big believer that technology helps enormously, but I also want to throw the caveat out there that I don't think it fixes everything. And I think most people fall into one camp or another, right? They either say, yep, technology is going to do it all, or we don't want the lack of, you know, uh, the human interact. We, we don't want the no human interaction piece. So technology is not the solution. I think we, I think there's a middle ground. Um, and so to answer your question, I uh, am very lucky. The CIO at Cedar Sinai um, is somebody who's very respected in the world of IT. Um, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. Uh, you know, he's the he's the least IT sort of. Uh, he he jokes about the fact that if you ever need anything fixed, uh, don't call him. Uh, he's the strategic guy, and I love that I've got a strategic partner in a world of of technology and IT because we're always looking at the patient experience and trying to find ways to improve where technology could help. So to answer your question, he and I talk very frequently. We've got a lot of ideas that we work on together. Uh, when I have new ideas or new vendors or partners that I want to bring to Cedars, he's always got an open ear. Um, and so part of the four-year journey that I've been on here has been helping the organization see, like, what should we be investing in and how do we want to make it easier? So, you know, a couple of examples around streamlining patient communication, both pre- and post-experience, you know, making it easier for patients to put in requests or ask for things from us. Very specifically, one of the things we're working on now is, you know, we drive patients crazy with the number of times we, we make them communicate with us. So if you if you have a doctor's appointment, the number of phone calls and emails and reminders <laughs> and surveys, um, and so he's the kind of guy, and again, his team is the same, where I can sit down and say, this is crazy. It's not good from an experience perspective. Let's think about it differently, and he's always willing to listen. So yeah, the answer to your question is I think we have a very strong partnership, and we've been able to do some pretty cool things um, that marry the human interaction and the um, technology together for a good outcome. Do you think that this great working relationships was based on the hierarchy and the organizational structure uh, of the healthcare system, or is it based on who you are as people? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think every organization has uh, an acceptable, I think hierarchy 
in general is sort you know you need it right it's uh, it's a little bit like you know lord of the flies otherwise and so i think uh you know people, <laughs> people need to know who to look to or who's leading um and so i think a certain amount of that is very healthy at times i think cedar sinai is is a good example of a place where uh, it is way more about the relationships and the people that you meet and you know that's a lesson that took me a while to learn professionally i think i used to think that everybody just needed to listen to me and uh, you know, I would come in with, hey, the patient voice is really important, you know, do this. And I took a different approach when I started here. So, that, you know, Cedars recruited me in 2016 um, to start the Office of Patient Experience. And I honestly came in and spent my first few months just listening. And I know it sounds really like simple and uh, and somewhat intuitive, but building all these relationships with nursing and IT and finance and operations and saying, again, like what works well, what doesn't, how can I help you? And it's been very important to me as I've grown my team. So, you know, I was team team member number one uh, on patient experience, and now we're up to close to 10 people. And everybody I hire is the same. Um, I hire people who build very good relationships. And so we pride ourselves on, I think things get done uh, because people like working with us. Um, and there's it's a win-win, right? We still get what we want, uh, but it's good for them because I think inside of healthcare in particular, uh, you know, being siloed is such an overused term, but truly in healthcare it is, right? You're either clinical or not, or you're, you know, operations or not. Uh, and patient experience is one of the bridges between a lot of that. And so it's really fun to be able to do that in a way that people like working with you. Talking about bridges, do you have customer experience committee or some sort of a regular meeting on that on the topic of customer experience at the executive level? We do. Um, so that was one of the things, again, that I that I was fortunate enough to help uh, rebrand and reformulate. And I think, um, you know, what existed before was a well-intentioned, but but um, not overly structured approach to it. So, you know, I talk about myself, I'm a little bit of an enigma in the world of patient experience. I think I'm, I love the like, soft and fluffy empath, you know, empathetic side of customer experience, but I'm also proudly uh, very type A and very structured. And, um, and so, I think I brought that style into the work that we do. So we have monthly meetings on our inpatient side and ambulatory side with very, um, again, structured agendas even. You know, we go through data, we report out on projects, we uh, have a whole cross-section of people at that table. Um, so to give you an example, we have, you know, senior leadership, we have vice presidents and, and department heads. Um, we have all a lot of the ancillary support areas like volunteer services, food and nutrition, uh, and then probably the best part of that committee uh, is our patient and family advisor. So both of those groups have actual patients at the table uh, to help keep us keep us honest. So that's just one of the sort of governance parts of the patient experience structure here. Oh, wait, wait. I love that part. Let's talk more about this. How did you get patients to be on it? This sounds like such a hard thing. I, I'm currently working with, with an organization in New York, and it's the hardest thing to do, apparently, is get to have a conversation with a patient. How did you, how did you set this up? Yeah, I'd love to pretend uh, that this was easy. I remember the first conversation. I will not name names, uh, even, if you, even if you make me, but um, I remember coming in and saying, like, hey, you know, patient and family advisor programs are, are certainly popular. Most places have them. Uh, to be fair, a lot of places have had them a while, but even now they're sort of struggling with what to do. So we when I came to Cedar Sinai, I said, do we have one? And they said, no. And so I remember thinking, great, like, you know, I'll just pick and choose what everybody else has done well and, and build one here. And they said, um, 
I just want to warn you, we're not really open to it. What we don't need is a bunch of like angry patients sitting around the table telling us. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll make a deal with you. Um, I said, give me a year or two to build this program, start to build some credibility around it. And I will show you why not having a patient at the table is not good for us. And so we made that deal. It was an unofficial deal. And a couple of years in, uh, I think I won them over. And so we really went out and started to market in a few different ways uh, to our existing patient base and say, and again, just to clarify, this isn't about finding just the unhappy patients who've had bad experiences or the glowing reviews. Of course. This is going out to your general, normal, typical patient population, your representative patient population and saying, there are ways in which you can get involved. And so we've built now, Liliana, four different ways in which patients can get involved. There's our committees, there are councils, there are bi-monthly, what we call experience collaborative, so almost like design sessions with about 15 or 16 uh, patients and family members. Um, and then we have an online patient panel that uh, has doubled in size over the last few months. Um, so we're up to over 6,000 people. And we, we go about it in a very rigorous way. So again, we we screen people, we interview them, we onboard them. It's a it's a formal role as a PFA, and I actually think the patients appreciate that because it's not like they're like left, you know, to fend for themselves once they get placed. So, you know, I'll give you an example. We we have somebody on our facilities and design uh, committee, and that person again was screened, interviewed. Like, what is it about your experience at Cedars that you want to help or share? And and through the conversation with this candidate, she was like, you know, my daughter was a patient on the pediatrics unit. And here's what I remember thinking and seeing. And we said, awesome, we're about to like redo our pediatrics um, facility. Like, would you like to be a part of that? And so there's intentional matching as well with where these patients uh, and customers go. So it is truly, uh, I think, one of the proudest things I've, I've been able to say we've done as an office of patient experiences. Now we have, even just in like, actual PFA is not the online community. We're up over 50 uh, that are sitting on different committees and, and councils around the hospital. Okay, I think this is the one thing for me that you have done that has had the most impact on patient experience. I don't think many people can say they've done this in healthcare. How, how does the budget work? Because this sounds expensive. Or, or at the very least, it sounds like a budget item. Yeah. So, um, so I will say one thing. I think, I think again, hospitals, patient and family advisor programs have been around a while. I think how we use them is a little bit different, a lot different than most places. Um, so I'll give us credit for that. I think we, again, most places just have you know twenty people on a committee that they bring together, and um, you know they they either complain or compliment you to a degree that is not overly useful, right? They're either very angry or very happy, but it doesn't get at the root cause of what you need to fix. Um, and so to your first point, I think, uh, I do think it's pretty innovative and, and I wanna connect it to the one thing I was talking about, which is again, around the patient voice. And, um, you know, we get well over, gosh, 300,000 completed surveys a year from our patients, but it was very important to me a year or two into this job to say, that's not everything. Uh, you need to complement when you're talking about listening to your, your customer voice. Surveys are one thing, you know, unsolicited feedback is another thing. And, and these councils and people at your table are going to keep you from making very big mistakes. Um, and so I think that helped me get there. Uh, the funny thing about PF, uh, patient family advisor programs and all the work we do, uh, it's not that expensive. And I say that again, not, not to be tongue in cheek because it adds up, but 
uh, compared to the bottom line of this organization, we are a very small expense um, that I truly believe has has changed and, and helped improve a lot of things. So the budget, again, comes out of operations. These actual patient councils cost us next to nothing. Uh, they don't get paid. They volunteer their time. Um, honestly, the expense comes in just somebody on my team helping lead and, and run them. Um, so it's sort of a no-brainer in my mind. Very, very interesting. If you're interested to continue this conversation, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at our website, thepetrovaexperience.com, or you can reach out directly to me at Liliana at thepetrovaexperience.com. Just mention you are a listener of this podcast and we will offer you a free customer experience consultation. We will explore how we can improve your customer experience. So what made you go into patient experience? 20 years patient experience, that means you started when it wasn't the topic of the day, I feel like customer experience was modernized and bore and rebranded maybe 10 years ago, if, if I'm correct on the timeline. H how did you stumble upon this 20 years ago? I thought you were going to say it means you started when you were, you know, five years old. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I was going with that bad, but I was uh, like, look, okay. go I, somewhere. I turned 42 don't, don't last week and I'm very okay with, with saying that out loud. I, well, I'm 41 okay. this okay. year. It's, so. uh, I'm, I'm happy with my age. Um, I've come to accept it. Same. Um, yeah, you know what's funny? I'd love to believe that there. So I have a very good reason for getting into healthcare. I have a a fluke reason why I'm in patient experience. I'll give you the good reason first. I, uh, growing up in South Africa, I had an unfortunate, thankfully nothing severe um, incident as a 13 year old. I, I fell and basically broke my hip and um, was in hospital uh, in the hospital in, in Cape Town for a couple of weeks and. Uh, that memory is, you know, emblazoned in my mind for the rest of my life. I remember everything about it. And I just remember thinking how vulnerable I felt, but also how, how important everybody around me in the hospital was to making me feel better. And I just was fascinated by the place and how it ran. And um, like most people, you're either interested in clinical stuff or you're not. And I knew I wasn't. Um, and so I just remember thinking like from a young age, Hey, I want to, I want to be one of the people that helps this place run. Um, and so that's why I got into healthcare. Honestly, every single job, um, other than working at a movie theater when I was 16, um, has been in healthcare. Um, and so I got very lucky coming out of my undergrad. Uh, I joined a hospital in Atlanta, Northside Hospital. And um, actually, my very, very first job for the first year was not in uh, patient experience or customer service. I was in uh, the cancer program doing some community benefit and health screening and cancer, cancer events. Um, and the CEO called me in one day. Uh, I had got that job, by the way. Sorry, I missed an important part of the story. I got the job because I'd done an informational interview with the CEO. And I said, I don't care what I do here. Just give, you know, if you have a job, I'll take it. And he put me in oncology. Uh, he called me up a year later and he said, listen, my manager of patient relations is taking a sabbatical. Uh, are you interested? And I said, honestly, I don't even know who they are and what they do. And he said, trust me on this one. I think I know you well enough and I think it's good experience. And so, yeah, by default, I sort of fell into a patient advocacy role. Um, and Liliana, the interesting thing, again, is it wasn't patient experience back then. It really was just straight up responding to complaints and grievances and tracking, you know, the, uh, the disgruntled people. 
Um, but then it evolved. And so from there, I, you know, did a little work at the advisory board company. And then I came back into the hospital setting to help run customer service. Um, and basically, I will say my last, yeah, you're right, 10 years-ish between Emory Healthcare and Cedar sinai has been um, helping push this patient experience agenda. Because the last point I'll make here is, is I think we've evolved from a very reactive field of patient advocacy and patient relations. When I describe patient experience, I get to live in a world that is 100% proactive. I want to make everyone's experience better going forward. Um, and so to me, it's a much more strategic way of thinking about, because we could spend our days, there are people around here who spend their days, you know, fixing things that go wrong. But until you start to get in front of that, you'll never fix anything. And so we really, I think about this new evolution of patient experiences, honestly fixing it for the next person who comes in the door. Listening to you today reminds me a, a lot of, of, of what my mandate and position was in JetBlue. And I consider my, my tenure there pretty successful, but I, I think what differentiates our positioning and mindset in the field of customer experience is really that specific proactive angle. I used to call it intentional design of the future experience. You're calling it being proactive. I feel like it's the same thing. It's this whole idea that true impact happens by design and design needs thinking and, and, and this time frame to, to have the partnerships with the people that are the builders of that experience and then let it happen and witness it, it happen. That, for me, that was the biggest reward was seeing something that we mapped out, designed, conceived, whatever you call it, happen and then observing the reaction of the, of the consumer being what you, you designed it to be. Uh, and I think that that really is holy grail, and it is so hard for organizations to see and achieve. Uh, I really don't know why. Most of them spend time in the past reacting. It is the very rare few that are, are those visionary kind of thinkers or, or that take this visionary approach to customer experience that really become the brands that people talk about. So having said that, if you could speak to somebody that is at an executive position in healthcare, let's say they run a healthcare system, what would be your advice to them in terms of what they, they should or can do in order to set this up in the in the right way. Yeah, I think so. It's funny, you know, when when again when I was thinking about uh, what to say was my one big thing. Uh, the the runner up uh, was going to be intentional design and truly structure around patient experience. I couldn't agree with you more. I think what we have provided this organization with is a very structured approach to improving patient experience. And I think in general, the reason a lot of executives think about topics like patient experience the way they do is because they don't understand a couple of things. They don't understand how it could impact everything that they already do. They think of it as very sort of lofty and ambitious and a little bit hard to achieve. And again, they just think of it, and, and maybe this is too, too blunt of a thing to say, but I think they think of it as too abstract or too theoretical. And so what I would say to people is I I really do believe, and I feel like the four years plus that I've been at Cedars, we've been able to show this, um, that when you apply a like a very traditional sort of either project management or, or 
structured approach to this, it actually can work wonders for a ton of other things. I, I talk about the Office of Patient Experience here as helping improve everybody else's job, right? So what I do is, my team is we pick projects and things that make pharmacists' lives easier, nursing's lives easier, physicians' lives easier. And so the advice to, to senior executives would be um, push for a very structured approach to patient experience because I think it makes a very big difference. Um, but trust that, you know, doing that coupled with things like including the patient voice and the customer service side of it um, can really just benefit almost everyone. It's it, Nothing makes me happier than hearing people say that I've made their jobs a little bit easier here. Um, and in healthcare, again, it's not usually everyone's focused on the patient or and or their own, right? You're either making more money or improving operations or you're doing X. And I think patient experience, we don't have our own X. We just come and we like do it for other people. Um, and so I think executives, once they get that, uh, would be a little bit more receptive to it. Are you a cost center or do you, or you know what I mean? Like, do you have your own budget uh, yes. in terms of projects or are you managing other people's budgets as a yeah. lens of... A little bit of both. Um, yeah, so we are, a, uh, we, are, we are an expense item, uh, a non-revenue producing department, as I remember every time we go into budget season, which we're about to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, but truly, again, and, and uh, you know, it's a very limited, it's a small number, again, compared to a lot of other things. Uh, we don't expend, we don't really spend anything other than on survey measurement and a couple of technology pieces and labor. So... There really are not a ton of costs associated with the work that we do. But to your question, you know, often when we get involved in projects and things, if it's something the department or unit is already doing, it comes out of their cost center. If it's, but I'd say more often than not, the work we do doesn't involve extra expenses. Um, and so really it comes back to things like training or process changes or, or things like that. And so the, the money isn't always uh, as much as people think it might cost to do something like this. Yeah, uh, quite frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I thought it would be more expensive. But that being said, I came from a very poor industry. My friend, you're in the rich industry. <laughs> My percentages were different. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's, uh, I know. Well, you know, yes and no. It's funny. I think, um, listen, no one feels sorry for healthcare because of what we, what we charge patients. But at the end of the day, uh, we are a business that still has a bottom line to run. And I promise you, if it makes you feel any better, Liliana, I'm I'm going in next week to defend my budget. And believe me, it's uh, nothing gets nothing gets passed just because we make a lot of money. Um, so, yeah, and I and I never take that for granted. Like, I appreciate that I work for such a great organization that is very lucky to, um, you know, if you even talk about sort of COVID, we came out of, of the hard parts of this. Uh, hopefully there won't be many more, um, you know still being uh, above above the line and and we're able to do the things that a lot of places are not able to do so i do it's not lost on me i really do appreciate that but again i think my point is to the executive piece i don't believe it is a big expense compared to what you get back for the effort on it i think we can easily point to a lot of both operational and other metrics um, that have really uh, helped this organization and paid for itself pretty easily What's what's the one thing that keeps you grounded in your own position, I guess? Well, first of all, I, I don't want to say I'm getting old because that would be an insult to you since we're almost the same age, but I, <laughs> uh, I'm i starting to experience healthcare myself, I'll put it that way. And what keeps me very grounded is the moments when I feel incredibly vulnerable. It does not take long for you to become a 
you know, leader at an organization walking around in your in your business wear to lying on a you know CT machine in the emergency department, and and those moments keep us all grounded. So I think we talk a lot about our own personal experiences uh, and frustrations with this, so that keeps me grounded. Um, honestly, though, the the simple answer is uh, rounding and being around and walking around the hospital. I think nothing connects people back to what it means uh, to be a patient than to physically walk around. So. Uh, you know, real quick, one of the other things that we're launching this month, actually, we launched on March 1st is a leadership rounding program. And so all directors and above are going to be required once a month to go round on patients. Uh, we built a program, we built a training tool, we built a, a tracking everything. Um, because it stuns me how many people don't, like when the last time was that somebody walked into an inpatient room, and you need to, you need to know what it's like, and what it feels like, and smells like, and sounds like, and it does it for me uh, every time. Like you walk into, you know, uh, to, to get a little dark for a second, you know, during the, the huge surge that we had over the holidays here, we were hit so badly in, in L.A. Um, you know, a third of our hospital at one point was COVID patients, and we had to house patients in pre-op areas and recovery areas. And I walked around on Christmas Eve uh, in, a, what it, in an area where I had been for outpatient surgery um, recovering what was now an ICU and it stopped me in my tracks. And I just thought to myself, nothing makes me appreciate and respect this work more than just remembering like this is why we do it. Um, so I know it sounds sort of a little bit cliche, but, um, there isn't a day when I go rounding on patients that it doesn't make me, make me think differently about the work we do. Thank you for being with us today, Alan. If anyone wants to connect with you, what's the best way? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It really was a pleasure that that flew by very quickly. Yep. Anytime people want to reach out to me, they can find me on the Cedar sinai website, uh, LinkedIn. Feel free to just connect any way that, that makes sense. I think I've got, uh, if you do Google me, you will find at least a few things, if, if nothing else other than the, than the accent. But yeah, I'm always open to, to conversations or questions around patient experience or anything. So please do feel free to reach out. Thank you. The One Thing is produced by the Petrova Experience in partnership with Mount Media Network, copyright 2021. Visit thepetrovaexperience.com and find the Petrova Experience and me, Liliana Petrova, on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can also find me on Twitter, at Liliana Petrova. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.